Welcome to the Be Real podcast. I am your host, Diana Gasparoni. I am a visionary psychotherapist, CEO, and founder of Be Well Psychotherapy and Be Her programs. Along with my amazing co-hosts, Anisha Salisbury and Divya Robin, each week we will talk about the journey of mental health wellness. We will talk about why your mental health is just as important as your physical health and the connection that being mentally well has on all areas of your life. We will be interviewing psychotherapists from various disciplines and schools of thought, doctors from both Eastern and Western disciplines, authors, change makers, thought leaders, and more. Our mission is to bring you information that is both thought-provoking and encourages you to look closer at your mental and emotional well-being. We will give you tips and insights to taking the next steps, or if you have already gotten in the door, to go deeper. Each week, we are going to have real conversations, helping you work through your mental wellness questions, reminding you that you are not alone. Mental health is my passion. I practice what I preach. I know that the struggle is real. It is our mission to touch as many souls as we can with this content, leading you to a place of mental clarity and well-being. So for the next hour, let's work together and look underneath the surface and get real. Hey, I'm Diana Gasparoni, and I am the host of Be Real, and I'm super excited for our second, second real episode today. Yes. So today I have the Be Real team in the house, which is super exciting. So I have Adnisha Salisbury, LCS. Hello, Adnisha. I can say so many wonderful things about Anisha. She is a psychotherapist. Uh, she works with us at Be Well Psychotherapy. She also has a program that she's going to talk about eventually. We're going to let her introduce that to you here on Be Real when we're ready for it, which supports specifically supports uh, Black women. And then we have Divya Robin, who is soon to be on the clinical side at Be Well, but does all the support for me personally. <laughs> Um, so tech support. (laughs) Yes, Divya is tech support, admin support, and she is in charge of all of our social media. But again, she is getting ready to sit on the clinical side, and she is here today. And today, we are going to talk about what psychotherapy is, ladies. I'm going to ask you both, and you, whoever. Let's see. We'll have Anisha start first. Why does talking help? What is psychotherapy? What is it? I think it's interesting because when I think about psychotherapy, I think it's all about awareness, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's a place to talk through or work through not just problems, which I also think is a misconception, but like all questions you have, right? Like about your thinking habits, your feelings, um, understanding others and how other people experience you or you experience them. One big thing is I, I definitely think it's a place to build compassion for yourself um, as well as others, um, but more importantly for yourself. Because I think that we can be harder on ourselves than anyone else can be on us, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's about just having like that time and that space to kind of explore, you know, being empathetic, being compassionate, being accepting of ourselves. That when I think about psychotherapy, that's kind of how I view it is just uh, building awareness. I love that. Divya, what do you think? So for me, I think that psychotherapy is such a wonderful place for people to really take a step back. I've noticed that we live so often on like autopilot almost, and we're just moving and thinking and feeling in ways that we're not really acknowledging. And like I said, we're really living through the motion. And so I think psychotherapy is a great place to sit and acknowledge our experiences, acknowledge our thoughts that are day to day, 
look back at our relationships and like Anisha said to really just bring awareness into that because when we're on the go so much we don't have a lot of awareness so psychotherapy is a great place to do that and while we're doing that then we can improve our relationships um, improve our thoughts and start to just form more positive coping strategies so that I think is a wonderful place to be able to give yourself the ability to do that and the opportunity because otherwise we don't take the time to do it so it's really important to do that and yeah, I think that that's really what for me psychotherapy is. So we get to sit back and we get to really look at where who we are in the world and also examine some of the thoughts that go on in our minds, right? Because I know for me, if personally, I am my biggest critic. So it's interesting. I don't know if yeah. I ever talk to anybody <laughs> the way that I talk to myself sometimes. So it is nice. It's a it is a great place to be able to explore that. So what is it about actual talking? do you think is important? I mean, there's other ways, right? Mm -hmm. We know that there's definitely other ways to feel good, but what is it about talking as a form of self-care? When I think about that, I think that for some of us, talking is foreign, right? I think Mm -hmm. about depending on like what type of household you grew up in, maybe, you know, it wasn't engaging, right? Like the people in your household kind of didn't talk about themselves or their thoughts and, and how they were feeling. Sometimes if you have a space to be able to do that, is so important because we have all these thoughts in our mind and sometimes they get jumbled and they're just kind of going back and forth, back and forth. But to be able to get them out and actually say, okay, wait, this is what I'm thinking. This is why I'm thinking it. Um, and also have someone to listen to that, I think is super important. And I agree with you, Anisha, that it's super important to have that space because there's a lot of healing, I think, in being able to verbalize our experience. Like so often we hold our experience within ourselves and almost let that drive how we act. And sometimes it can produce some anxiety and frustration because we're not really talking about what's happening in our lives. And so I think there's a lot of healing power in actually bringing that experience from within and from anxious thoughts and feeling down about ourselves, which is such an often thing that happens, especially in the therapy room, but to bring it out with a person, a a therapist in that space. And I really like how you had also said that there are places that we're not as open into talking and maybe there's not as much of education on how we should talk and express our emotions. So that's a really important part about therapy is that you should feel open to even talk with your therapist because I don't even official talking could be unless you feel that alliance with someone. Well, right. I mean, is it in all different aspects of our lives where do we get to really express ourselves and identify our thoughts and feelings, right? And be able to understand where they come from and have your feelings, most importantly, I think, be accepted that you can mm-hmm. and also understand them. I don't think that everybody really, that as a culture, we're not, we're moving more towards uh, more feeling, more accepting of feelings in all different spaces, but we definitely have spaces where we are not allowed to be as expressive. So Mm -hmm. it's nice to be able to have somebody to bounce that, like to sort of like test it out, kind of like ping pong, test it out, throw it against, throw that that ball against the wall and see what happens, right? Like see if you can... If you if you toss out that feeling and it comes back to you, like, how are you going to get it back, right? Like, what are some mm-hmm. of the you can explore? Because I know that really digging deep in and talking about what goes on in the mind and talking about what you're feeling and how that a- activates a feeling can be very challenging and difficult for sure. Uh, yeah, it's definitely good to gain understanding because I think that sometimes we just kind of want to figure out. Am I, am I feeling the right thing? Am I thinking the right thing? 
what does mm-hmm. other people think about this? Right. Um, so yeah, we get the, I mean, yeah, you get the opportunity to normalize a lot of the thoughts, right? Thoughts and people think that they're not normal or there's that should, like I should be thinking this or I should be doing that. And then it's like, but how, no, wait, okay, hold on. Whoop, come back here. Come <laughs> back. We're going to be okay. Let's just think about it for a second and then the, just talk it out. There's no should. And also I you know, I love the drive theory, as we know. So I'm also really interested in impulses and like what thoughts turn into actions and why and like examining that space, like where the thought then becomes an action or it doesn't become an action. So what um, being able to tease out where where we have resistances and that happens in the therapeutic relationship as well, right? Like we're able to sit and examine that and see and help and support the client, the patient in getting into the next, into the next thought, right? So the thought doesn't become so repetitive that we don't move forward. So that's Mm -hmm. uh, interesting to me. And also so exciting when you see the patient be able to talk it through and then move on to the next thing. Can you give a list of examples of some of the things that you've seen just, or you've experienced after somebody has started talking or hears themselves say something for the first time? Like that experience is kind of amazing. I think that it's also amazing because a lot of the time we're socialized to not talk about our feelings because that's just really uncomfortable to do for a lot of people since we just don't do that. And so being in a space with someone who actually validates your feelings and gives you a space that it's accepted, I think that that in itself is really healing. And then hopefully people are able to take that emotional language that they start using in the therapeutic space and put that into their other aspects of life. Emotional language. I love that. I think for me, I'm seeing clients who are better able to communicate with the other people in their lives because they are constantly communicating with me. Right. So Mm -hmm. every time that they come in session, it's like modeling a behavior, right? Like, so they get to model how to talk about when they disagree. Right. So like if I tell them something in you know, they disagree with me. They're able to say, hey, Anisha, I don't agree. And so now they can take that out of the room. And maybe when they're talking to like a friend or an intimate partner, they can say, hey, I don't agree. And they can see that it's not that bad, right? Like when they told me that, that they didn't agree with me, I didn't get upset with them, right? I listened. Mm-hmm. Now that may not happen in their real life, right? <laughs> but <laughs> it's practice. It's totally really good but practice, it's right? Practice. I think that's really what it's about to help them kind of model these behaviors and maybe, you know, have more healthy communication and, 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 and as opposed to communicating with someone and, you know, they might scream at you or um, you just fear that they're not going to take it in the way that you said it. So just helping them learn how to say things in a way that other people understand as well. Right. So you get to experience what it's like to be heard and then also get to play around with how to say it. Right. Like if you say something or you see yourself saying something for the first time and you're like, ooh, (laughs) (laughs) but you can also feel like the physical shift in your body. Right. Like if you can like even remember like the first time you said something and connected it to a feeling and like something like like maybe your neck stopped hurting or something like you could move a little bit better. (laughs) It's like, Oh, okay. 
And then you get to go out in the world and you're like, oh, I tried this with Anisha and it totally worked. I'm going to try it with my friend. (laughs) Now I'm going to try it with my boss and see, and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to, I'm going to try it with that person that I live with. So yes, it gives you, sometimes I refer it as like the Petri dish for your life. Like you get to come in and it's like a little experiment and you just sort Mm -hmm. of like around and you noodle it a little bit and you're like, hmm. I'm going to say this today <laughs> and you go out into the world and you're like, Ooh, well, that works. I'm not, I'm all, I'm good. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try this experiment with my words. Um, I totally role play with my clients and they love it. Right. Because they just want to see, okay, how could this actually go if I did it out in the real world? So we just role play. And I think it's really good for them to say, okay, well, maybe I won't say that, or maybe I should say this. Maybe I should use I statements. Maybe I shouldn't start my sentence with you because someone might get super defensive. So we kind of go over the best ways to do it to get the desired result that they want. Oh, that's so yeah. fun. I'll come see you. That's so fun. Um, Divya, I know that you've been working with like a younger population than let's say I normally work with. Do you, um, have you seen, because most of the communication, right, is in the phone. It's in the yeah. Right. So finding that emotional language or even any language, not that college students don't talk, but like being able to communicate face to face just becomes harder as we add technology into the room. So what has that been like helping or supporting in that environment? Yeah, that's a great question because it is so true that we communicate very differently, especially the younger generation. And that's something that I really do see in my work with college students. What Anisha was saying about learning skills and relationships that really is a lot of the work I do is kind of helping students cultivate skills within their own relationships. And they take those skills from the therapy space, and then put that into relationships with their professors and with their parents and with their friends, because it's so interesting how we just don't have, like I said, that emotional language to really talk about our experiences. And a lot of college students are really holding in a lot, especially during such a big transitional period. And so there's a lot of things being thrown here and there. And for them, I've seen that it's really healing to have a space to just validate that, but it's also very new. I've had a lot of students say things like, I've never told anybody this, or it feels really weird that I'm like talking about how I'm feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that at any age, it is like, even as like my cohort of people who come to see me tend to be older, but um, when you say something for the first time, or when you start to examine your feelings for the first time, and you sort of look back on your history or the occupation that you have, uh, where maybe emotional language isn't part of the workplace, right? We happen to be very mm-hmm. that emotional language is part of our everyday, but like how you were raised and what the, what the communic styles were at home. And then you start to unpack all of that. And you, you can see that there is just culturally, we have this disconnect with our feelings and our thoughts and like being able to express all of those things freely is such a relief when you're in the therapy room, I think. So we come in to talk, right? Because we have something on our mind. <laughs> like that's the reason why we come. We come. Something has happened. We have to. We have to talk about something. I mean, I find, and my own personal experience was, I found my first therapist after a traumatic breakup. So, what that, how people get into the room comes from all different, all different avenues. But once they're there, or 
because sometimes they get there and then they don't want to talk. But is it that they don't want to or is it that they don't or is it that we just don't know what to say? What do you think? Uh, I think it's a bit of both. But I think also it just kind of goes back to, you know, kind of cultural, right? Like what was learned in your household? So like if that was an acceptable form of communication. So sometimes people are afraid that they're afraid that when they speak, generally people weren't listening. So they don't know if they come to talk to us, are we going to listen? Are we going to understand? Are we going to accept them? So there's this kind of fear of, you know, what should I say? What shouldn't I say? And it's interesting when people come in and they talk about their relationships. They talk about the people in their lives that are impacting them. They, they do this thing where they're like, oh, I, I don't think it's fair, Anisha, that I'm talking about this person. I'm like, you're not talking about them in a bad way. You're talking about how they impact you. And that's okay to talk about. So it just, you, you know, you just have to think about how we were kind of conditioned around communication and what it means to kind of talk about ourselves, talk about others. And also a lot of them have never had a space where they were just able to talk about themselves. You know, generally our relationships are reciprocal, right? You go to your friends, you talk a little bit about you, they talk a little bit about them, you kind of go back and forth. But what is it like to be in a space where it's just all about you? Sometimes that is very difficult for people and that kind of keeps them kind of quiet at times. As you were saying that, I started to think about how often I have heard, I can't tolerate this, tolerate, I use it again. I I don't, the selfish <laughs> feeling, right? Like that they're taking up too much time or that this is so selfish. Divya, have you seen that? Have Has that been part of your experience? That's been a huge, huge part of my experience working with college students, especially because a lot of them are in that transition phase with their parents from the part of them being a bit more dependent on their parents to gaining that autonomy. So there's this feeling of guilt, first of all, for starting to form their life in the way that they have been wanting to as an adult. And also on top of that, I work with a lot of first generation students whose parents immigrated to the United States. So they're like Anisha had said, there's a lot of cultural barriers there too, and that guilt of bringing some problems that might be happening within the family context into the therapeutic space. So there are a lot of different factors with one being school transitions, being relational transitions, and then also trying to find their cultural identity. It has been hard for them to talk a lot of the time because it, it feels uncomfortable. And that's where it's really been for me, just gaining that trust and forming that alliance with them. And I've noticed that that has been the most powerful tool that I've been able to give because once we form that alliance, and we form that trust, they feel more safe to open up. I don't feel like some stranger. I don't feel like someone who's going to judge them or judge their family and they come right. into the room and it's, you know what I mean? Because that's, I think, the biggest thing is for them to not feel judged and not feel that even if you hear about their family, you're going to judge them or judge their family, but to just be accepting and open to their experience. So that's been for me and that that really gets people to start talking and to open up and just to listen. That's awesome. I love to hear that. And I also, I was thinking, as you were talking and recalling a conversation that I've definitely had with you, Adnisha, around how you phrase the time in the work together with your clients as self-care, like that you are reframing therapy for your 
clients as a form of self-care so that it is, it feels more acceptable, right? Like hashtag self-care as opposed to hashtag therapy sounds, I mean, we're going to hashtag therapy and make it as popular <laughs> as self-care, but do you know what I mean? Like how, how do you feel that that shift in that language helps normalize and also take away from this, like, this is selfish to self-care. I think that there's a lot of power in that language. Can you talk about that a little bit? So for me, um, when I talk to my clients and we talk about this being self-care, it's really hard for them to have an understanding, right? Like how, how is this self-care, Anisha? You know, a lot of people think self-care is going to the spa, right? <laughs> but I'm, I'm trying to have them have an understanding that this is a way to take care of yourself, right? Like by you coming in and having this time either weekly, bi-weekly, kind of to, to work on the things that have been bothering you or the things that you, you question every day. How is that not taking care of you, right? Because what happens when we are not able to answer those questions and not have an understanding of ourselves, right? Like how does that then impact other parts of our lives, like uh, impact us at work, impact us with our families, with our in our relationships? So just them seeing that by you talking and having a better understanding of yourself and more acceptance and more compassion and more empathy, that's going to make you feel better in the long run. It may not make you feel better the day that you leave my office, <laughs> right? But <laughs> maybe not that over day, time, maybe. maybe not that day, but over time. Mm. And it's funny when my clients, you know, they come in and they'll say, you know, Anisha, I was thinking about what you said to me, or I was thinking, what would Anisha do? And so <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get that t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the time it's around communication, you know, like one of my clients is having an issue with a roommate and she said, Anisha, I was thinking, I know how to communicate. So why don't I just tell her how I feel? Like, I don't have to be upset with her and walk around with all of these feelings and have it be really weird in our household. I can just tell her how I feel. And, you know, whether she accepts it or not, but I got it off of my chest. I got it out my head. I don't have to continue to think about it all day. And so those are the times that I truly appreciate because that is what self-care is about. Awesome. That is great. And I do, I mean, I really like the idea of reframing uh, the conversation around therapy. There is, I mean, yes, there's a clinical component to what we do. We can't say that there isn't, but there is this step of getting into the room and sitting in front of a therapist and then allowing yourself to talk. That is such like, it's like the main line of self-care like makes it it's gonna make that massage and that day in the spa so much better <laughs> because like <laughs> the, the thoughts in your head might not be racing or like you've normalized a part of your life that like allow you to have that treatment and I'm talking about the hot stone massage that um it just it it's a, it becomes a richer experience for sure as we're talking and we're talking about the work that we do I know that we the three of us are psychodynamically oriented psychotherapists, which is like a really big word. So I wanted to sort of just break that down and make it normalized a little bit and see what you guys thought about how you explain what you do, how you explain it, like how when you're thinking about it, what is it? <laughs> what does it look like? And we're not talking theory here. We are talking about what that overarching umbrella. Because if somebody calls and says, hey, well, what kind of therapy do you do? What do you what, what do you say? 
Either one of you can start. So I can start right now with working with the population I work with. I do have to work through more of a short-term treatment model. And what that means is that I usually see my clients for about 14 to 16 sessions. In those sessions, then they are a lot more goal-oriented. Um, it's more solution brief therapy and we have a focus to the treatment since it is shorter. But one thing that I do really focus on is understanding their relational patterns, understanding attachment styles, because I've really learned through the time with my students is that when I learned that about that, it helped understand their relationship even with me, because I see a lot of those patterns playing out in the room with me as well. And so being able to confront those with them, since I know we do have a shorter amount of time. So I know that that would be different for the both of you and the kind of work that you do when you can see someone more long term versus short term. But I am very focused on understanding their family dynamics, understanding their communication styles, their relational patterns, and how that can apply in the space with me and then also in their life to improve their relationships and make them happier and healthier. Hopefully, that's always the goal, but you can never promise that. <laughs> right. We can't promise that. And I know for me, psychodynamic treatment is really treating all, your whole your whole person and by that I mean your whole life that we're really looking at all of your history and all that you're bringing into this moment and the things that are going on in your world right now and now we know that I I like I like a long-term treatment I mm -hmm. think that, I think that the relationship with the therapist and over the lifespan I mean stay in there forever and I know that it that's not necessarily everybody's point of view, but that you build a relationship with your therapist and things, things will, once you start to fill that void and start to understand yourself and start to see yourself better, then you are really working together to like work through the resistances as they come up, as we're like rebuilding and healing and rebuilding and healing. So that's what it means to me. And I know that there are many, many, many types of treatment out there. And I think that all of them are amazing interventions. So I obviously will recommend ours. But if you were looking or thinking about a different type, a type of treatment, how would you how do you think you would go about finding the therapist that was right for you? How does somebody, because I know people therapy shop, what, how, what do you recommend if somebody's looking for a therapist? Would they look for in that first consultation? Um, I recently got therapist shops. She couldn't tell me, no, yeah, she couldn't tell me what she was looking for, but she did let me know, you know, she had saw someone else. And she was going to see someone else. So for me, I told her, you know, I get it. You read my bio, right? Because that's kind of what got you into the room. But I want you to think about how you feel when you're in the room with me or with the person that you decide to choose. Because I think that is going to be very important on whether or not that person feels open to open up, right? And continue mm -hmm. to come. Um, and so when people call and they want to do like Skype sessions, I tell them I'm open to doing a Skype session, but I would like to meet you first. I want you to sit in a room with me to, to talk to me about how it feels to be in a room with me. If you want to continue to sit in a room with me and is that a comfortable kind of feeling for you? They do ask me what are my methods and I let them know that um, for me is really important that, yes, I understand that you have goals, but also to understand that you might give me a goal that we never work on. Because mm -hmm. that might be yeah. what brought you in the room, right? But maybe that's not something that you're ready to deal with yet. 
And I tell them, I follow your contact, right? So when you come in and there's something going on, we can talk about what goes on in a moment. But for me, I'm always trying to get underneath the surface, right? Like I want to understand like your childhood. I want to understand the relationships in your life. I need to understand how you communicate with people. So all of those things will help us, you know, throughout the treatment. I like that. I like that. Divya, what do you think? I think that the biggest thing that for me, I have to tell clients that I see, and also to be honest, my friends who are looking for therapists yeah. is to that it's okay. You know what I mean? If you don't feel connected to a certain person and sometimes you do have to therapist shop, you have to talk to a couple of therapists. I know when I was looking for a therapist, I talked to a few and it really is about like what Anisha is saying, how do you feel in the room with that person? And I know a lot of people who have seen maybe one therapist and they're like, this isn't for me. I didn't really feel like I connected with that person. And that's fine. It's just like a relationship with anyone. You don't connect with everybody you meet, but there are some people you do connect with. So to take the time to find that person and that it won't always be on the first try, but to not give up on the process because it doesn't mean that therapy is not working. It just might be that relationship and that connection isn't there. Um, I like that you're giving that advice to your friends too. That's really, that's really <laughs> important. Um, well, because true. I mean, I have a three date rule <laughs> that, <laughs> that I like. That I like or relationships. <laughs> both, both. You know, when I was dating, I had a three date rule. But I think that I definitely have tried when I see someone new or I get I get shopped. I suggest that they see me more than once, mm-hmm. and I do that because sometimes, just like when you're dating, you may, we don't know, like you may be uncomfortable. You may, it could be anything. I mean, some people don't take me up on it. Just like a lot of people don't take you up on it (laughs) out in the world and outside of the couch. But that in that first consultation, we may say too much, right? Like maybe the person Mm -hmm. says too much and they feel flooded and then they're like, oh, I maybe, oh, well, this was fun. I feel better. I'm not, I'm cured. Or then there's the, I don't know. I don't know if I really liked her, but all of these things. So all the thoughts that go in your head. So just give me a try for like three, like three sessions. Let's just see what happens. And I think that that for me has been, um, we've been able to tease out some of the things either, you know, it could just be me, but which I can totally accept. And then, but also to help the new person really under move through whatever that thing was that was in the way, like they did all the research and understanding just like how difficult it is to get there in the first place with all the stigma around therapy to begin with. So trying to normalize the process and I might even call it dating, maybe like, (laughs) I mean, most people, right, they want to feel safe. They want to feel seen. They want to feel heard, validated, understood. I don't know if you can get that in one session. I think it would be great to kind of come see me at least two or three times to figure out if you're feeling seen and heard and validated, because those are the things that you're probably not feeling in your other relationships, which, which is what brought you to therapy anyway, right? You can't figure that out after 45 minutes most of the time. And sometimes it's just that connection, you know, like you were talking about to be a connection. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you just have a connection. I met my therapist and I did feel connected to her, but I was also referred to her. Right. Like, so I had a friend who already like was just bigging her up like, oh, my God, she's so amazing. So when I walked in the room, I already kind of thought she was amazing before I even met her. So I do notice that that's how I get a lot of my clients, too, is from referrals. People have experienced you in a special way. So they tell their friends about you. 
And yet for, and when they come in, they want to see, am I going to experience Adnesha in the same way? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Well, right. And I think that that referral source, that referral system makes things, you do, you have a, a feeling of comfort, right? Like you've seen somebody in your life take like move mountains or like move things. And you're like, Hey, how'd you do that? <laughs> yeah. And that person, that person's like, Oh, it's all the work that I'm doing with Anisha. It's all the work that I'm doing with Divya. So like you do then have, you've already also got that expectation that not just the, the therapist is going to do that for you, but like, you know, that can happen because you've mm-hmm. seen it in your, in your friends, in your, yeah. uh, in that person mm-hmm. in your life. And like, you want that. So you want to feel that feeling. Okay. I sort of answered this already, but it'd be interesting to talk about it a little bit deeper. So they come in, they sit down, they get to know you, things are happening. I know I've heard this often too, is do I have to be here forever? (laughs) (laughs) That dreaded question. That dreaded question. (laughs) Do I have to come and see you forever? What do you think? No, you don't. Mm -hmm. I believe I'll be in therapy forever, but that's just personal, right? (laughs) Um, Because I know that I'll always need this space to talk about me and what's going on in my life. And for someone to continuously help me kind of understand how I make decisions, how I can make better decisions, um, why am I feeling the feelings that I'm feeling? So what I tell people is that you don't have to, but it's a choice. Maybe something about this relationship that you enjoy and you keep coming because of that. Um, And that relationship might not always be with me. It can be with someone else. But I do notice that people go in and out of therapy. So when they feel like sometimes they're better, which means like nothing is kind of ailing them in the moment, they feel like they don't need it anymore. And then, you know, when something is ailing them again, they come Mm -hmm. back. I don't look at therapy as um, when I'm ailing, I go. I look at therapy as that it's just... um, this space where I feel seen, heard, and understood. And I appreciate that. And I need that. So you're a lifer. I am. You're in. You're in for life. You're a lifer. But I will have to say the three times that I've went to therapy, they're, they're, they've always been due to a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> always. I mean, always it is. A man in my life. Well, I think that what there are, I mean, and we're going to, we will definitely dig into this later, right? We are going to dig into um, different diagnoses and different reasons why people come to therapy. I don't think that, I mean, as we're talking about the actual therapeutic alliance and what psychotherapy is and getting people in the room, we are not dismissing that there are real mental health crises out there Mm -hmm. that happen. And there's depression, really severe anxiety. There's a lot of real clinical reasons why people come to treatment. And we will definitely sit down and talk about those. But yes, so oftentimes a breakup will create so many ripples in your life. Like that loss can just open up so many things. And so, and the flooding and the, all of the things. So mm-hmm. I, uh, <laughs> that's how I got there too. And that's definitely, <laughs> definitely how I got on the couch, what that's like. And then as I was thinking, I know that I am in analysis, so I am definitely in it for life because that is, that is the modality. And it is, it's interesting as I have been in there for yeesh, 30 years now. Is that true? Wow. Okay. 
mm-hmm. right, let's just use that as a number. How different my treatment is as opposed to where I was 30 years ago. Yes, I've definitely matured. There were 30, there's a 30 year span, but also the anxieties that have lessened and the thoughts that have shifted and changed. And Mm -hmm. that also means that maybe Divya, I've been in analysis longer than you've been alive. So what do you think about treatment? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I really think that it, it, from the population that I work with, it depends on what people want out of therapy because sometimes people are coming into therapy in a mode of crisis and they're wanting to come for symptom relief. Like you'd said, Diana, extreme anxiety or depression and more symptomatic mental health issues. And they want to be in treatment for as long as it takes for them to feel some symptom relief when they're out of this state of crisis, then they feel like, you know, my therapy has, my experience is over, but like Anisha has said, I do see a return. So that happens, you know, when we're in a new stage of crisis and then we come back to therapy. And for some people it's for self-exploration and, you know, because we're dynamic human beings, we're ever changing. We can be in self-exploration for a really long time forever. And in that case, then yeah, you could be in therapy forever, but I really think that it comes down to what the person is trying to get out of therapy. And that also could change as they're in treatment and their goals could change and what they even want can change. I, yeah, I think it depends. Um, have you ever had anybody just like roll up and say, Hey, I just want to understand myself better. Yeah. And in those cases, I think that it can be difficult in the modality that I work from, which is more short term due to being at a college counseling center that I think that also is important with knowing different therapeutic modalities, because if that is what somebody wants and just wants for self-exploration, then they might be benefiting more from being in a psychodynamic setting such as be well. I think that also goes back to how a person chooses their therapist based on what they're trying to get out of treatment. Here we are. Three therapists talking about therapy. Three therapists talking about therapy, going through all the different things and the different modalities. And well, we didn't really talk about different modalities because we were all pretty much trained in the same one. In the short-term work, Divya, do you do find yourself doing more CBT, cognitive behavioral treatment? Mm -hmm. yeah do you you give the homework I do have to give homework it's not I don't have to that's the wrong word um I do end up giving homework to some clients because that's what they're looking for they're coming in more for CBT goal-oriented therapy short-term solution focused and so that is a lot of the goals that they come in with but the difficult part of it that I will have to admit is that other things come up right their relationships with their friends, their families, that comes up, their childhood experiences come up. So I end up doing psychodynamic work with that too, because I don't I don't think there's a way that we can't talk about that. I think no matter if you don't want to talk about it, it's going to come up. So it is CBT work, but I do find myself also leaning more toward the dynamic route because that's where the client goes. I kind of go wherever they are and tailor treatment to whatever is going to support them in the way that they're coming in and how they want to be supported. I like that. I like, I mean, when you, yes, I didn't, well, never been in short-term treatment, but I do, I have had people in short-term treatment. So we went over a little bit about the beginning and the anxiety, well, the anxiety or nervousness of getting into the room. If a client or a patient said to you, I'm, I'm done, how do you help them close up? We'll assume that a lot of stuff is going to go on in the middle, right? And like, let's just imagine it's like a couple years in. 
So for me, I want to explore what makes you done. I'm, I'm not going to just let you out that easy. I, I'm just going to say that. I'm just not letting you out that easy <laughs> because I want to explore like what makes you done, what makes you feel like um, continuing to explore your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors in your life at this moment makes you done with therapy. And or sometimes when people feel like that, I say, well, maybe we should see each other less. Because I think there's also this piece that I don't have anything else to talk about. <laughs> I'm okay. There's nothing else to talk about, Anisha. So I say, okay, why don't we not do maybe weekly anymore? What might maybe maybe we do bi-weekly? Maybe we do monthly. And you know, they use me as like a check-in system. Because I think that when people fall too far from therapy, it's like a fear of coming back, right? They're like, I don't know if I can call you. It had been a couple of months. I don't feel comfortable. I th- I would think that you didn't want to see me anymore. So I think for me to continuously leave my door open in some way and maybe offer that check-in so they know that, listen, even if you're not in crises and you just want to kind of talk through some things and have a better understanding of maybe something that's going on in your life, I'm here. I'm, I'm a text away. That is so generous. And also, <laughs> you, it is. It's very generous. I mean, you have to, there's to, you know, we have to look at the modalities and we have to look at the way that we work as people. But also, I think you said something really important in there that I want to uh, definitely talk about is is it therapy if you don't come weekly? I think that there is also this misconception that you have to be in the room every week. What do you think? Is it still a therapeutic relationship if you come every other week? Or as Anisha pointed out, you come once a month. Divya, I'm going to give this one to you. I think that it still is a therapeutic relationship for sure, because I don't think that it diminishes what you have with that person. What my idea with bi-weekly or monthly, I do have clients who ask me if I can do that once I terminate, if I can see them every couple weeks or once a month. And I personally don't do that because I want to process the ending with them. And I do let them know that I'm still there as a resource. But I, I kind of leave that boundary at that because I think that it's really important to also process ending. Okay. That's good. And you are right. In our lives. And that's hard for people. It's hard for people to have endings and hard for people, you know, with like what we all were saying, like what brings a lot of people to therapy breakups, but because <laughs> processing endings are hard. So I want to bring that into the room and let's talk about this ending. Let's talk about what's scary. And like Adisha had said, let's talk about what's bringing you to this ending. But I think that it is important to normalize an ending and to make it a termination, but to still be a person for them that it's like, not like I'm never going to talk to you again, but at the same same time we are in a relationship and this relationship is ending right now that's amazing because i do agree with you that there when things end we uh we don't necessarily know how to put that that it's painful we don't it's a loss Mm -hmm. no matter what no matter what the feelings are there's a if we have to get away from that person or whatever the case may be there will be a loss and being able to really explore that language and talk about it and they're hard. They're, I mean, endings are very hard. So also being able to have an open door and know mm-hmm. that you can still like, you're still there. Oftentimes I tell, I say throughout the course of treatment with a, a patient that, well, we'll be together forever. And the reason I say that, not because they necessarily have to be in the room with me forever, but um, the work that we do together will always be with you. Like you can't, mm-hmm. it's not something that like once you leave, <laughs> like that work will go away. You'll always have the tools that you created with your therapist. You'll always have 
the voice in the back of your head. I know that Anisha, we talked about this, that oftentimes a lot of her clients will say to her, what on the t-shirt, right? <laughs> what Anisha said. This is what Anisha said. So what would Anisha do? And so that is important to remember that once, even if the treatment ends, we're always, the work that we've done is always still there and accessible to your client, right? Like even if they can't get into the room with you. So that's like, we can, we have two, we have two different experiences of endings and that is great. I mean, so let I, me ask you, ladies, sure. for you, is therapy about consistency? Is that a huge part of it for you? Um, I, oh, that's a good question. I think that it, for me, it depends on uh, what's being presented. So I think that consistency and examining the resistances of the consistency, because sometimes I think that because therapy is very intimate and an interest in a new experience for most people when they walk into the room, that the weekly contact can be too much. Mm-hmm. So like you've never come into a room and talked to anybody before. And suddenly it's expected of you and in your mind, you're, you don't know when it's going to end. There's an anxiety and you don't know when you're going to get to talk about what you're going to talk about. If I have to come here every week, it could be too much. It might just be too much. So I might be more comfortable coming every other week. Would that be okay? Maybe I'm going to come once a month for now. And then I might, when I think that the person is ready, I might say, Hey, why don't we try this? Like you're, you've been coming once a month. What's that like? Why don't we let, let's beef it up. Let's try like one more. Let's try one more <laughs> session a month and see how that feels and just build on it that way. Cause then it becomes more tolerable for the person and their lives may be super successful and maybe they only, and success also being their own definition of success, not societal's definition of success. So. Mm-hmm what they really want out of the treatment. So yes, it's, I mean, if it was monthly, I would have it on the same Monday of the month. Like I would would definitely keep that consistency for sure. Part of that is because of my own calendar. (laughs) And I mean, my own calendar brain, like it would just be easier for me. But also I think that knowing when you are set to see your, have that time in your life in your calendar, knowing that it's there is grounding. I definitely see that. And I'm, I'm doing better (laughs) with (laughs) my calendar and not kind of allowing my clients to kind of pick and choose all the time. And they're kind of all over the place, but so they know like if it's Tuesday at six 30 and this is when we meet, then that feels really good for them. Um, But for me, yeah, it feels safe. But I also think that a big part of it is also money. We don't always talk about mm-hmm. that, right? Because right. not everyone's insurance pays for therapy. And so True. I have to have an understanding that what can my client afford? Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe they would will, love to see me weekly. Totally. And we will definitely get into <laughs> um, a whole conversation about the value of mental health in our culture. And what I just had a very interesting conversation with somebody about that recently. I definitely want to explore it more. Putting a value on your mental health is something that is new to a lot of people. How to have that conversation, how to have that conversation with yourself and what it means to raise the vibration around that conversation. When we look at that and we look at that value, we want people to understand the value to them and that they are valued. So that is important. And again, we can talk about that for a full hour, I'm sure. 
Um, okay, ladies, you know, it's our second episode. So we're playing around with how, um, <laughs> how we're going to end things. Speaking of endings, even though it's not a true end, but <laughs> it is the end of the episode. So I know, Divya, you told me I could see these things on my phone. Oh, here we go. i see it i open my phone i open my phone we're good we're good okay so what we have here is yesterday we had to wrap up questions but i don't think we could use them today because the first one is what's your favorite 90s jam and then we realized that divya was being born but she still might have a 90s jam she still might Very have possible. a 90s jam i don't know if this is going to be the end of our the, how we're going to end but we're going to do it again this time so now we know that yesterday i was definitely it was mary j and i'm sticking with real love again today i'm sticking with it so anisha i do not know your favorite 90s jam okay so i just want to tell everyone listening that this is not going to be a popular one okay <laughs> It's not, um, but um, I can separate the man from the music. So that is going to be oh, R. No, Kelly. No, 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 you can't do it and not, not do it. Do not do it. I can oh, separate girl. the man from the music. Oh, I don't okay. know if we can do it. I don't know if we can do it. I don't know. We might have to cut this from the podcast. Are you kidding me? The soundtrack of my life is R. Kelly. I am 41 years old. The soundtrack of my life is R. Kelly. I cannot get away from it. So it would be bump and grind. It's bump and grind. (laughs) I don't, I don't know. I I don't even know. I I mean, now we have to hear something from Divya so that we can (laughs) push it it to the side. I knew you were going to, I knew it. Oh my God. All right. Okay. Bump and grind, girl. Bump and grind. My name is even though we've all found out that I was born in the 90s. So, but. (laughs) I actually do have one that is associated with more of a fun memory. So I will say that this is mine. So my family growing up, like in the summer, we would all meet up because all of our families from all of all around the States and some are from India and all that. So when we would all come together in the summer, we'd hang out for a week. And my mom and my aunts, they were obsessed, like obsessed with ABBA. And they would only play <laughs> that. And yeah. And I used to just love the song Dancing Queen. And it's really funny. There's a video of me when that song was playing. I was about like nine years old and I stood on the couch and I started flipping my hair all over like <laughs> like crazy. Yeah, I really became a dancing queen. And so that's a video that way too frequently gets sent around in family group chats. But <laughs> <laughs> that really was just a good time in my life. And that is, that is, I have a lot of fond memories associated with ABBA. So I will put it at that. Okay. All right. Um, I, I love that. I love the dancing queen. I, um, I, I have so much, I, I can't wait to get on that family group chat with you so I can see it. Oh no. <laughs> I just want you to show it to us when it goes around again. I just want you to show it to us. Of course. Now, um, and this is just, we're playing around with this. Now I know, Ed, Misha, is there any chance that you have your notebook from yesterday? No. Oh, I, okay. So we still don't have a tagline. So we need a tagline. So if you've listened to this today and you've heard something um, and it will be in our show notes, <laughs> our tagline will be in our show notes. We are going to come up with a tagline and we're going to figure out what it is. 
as I listen to more and more podcasts, <laughs> we will try to figure out what it is we're going to say to close up. So if you would love to uh, join our Facebook group, and then you can give us some ideas about what our tagline is going to be. But oh, wait, we had another question. Shoot. What's your billboard say? That's right. Divya, what does your billboard say? Oh, I was hoping I'd have more time, but you know what? I'm just going to go with what's on my mind because, and not overthink things. I think that it would say that the journey is never ending. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Yes. Anisha, what's your billboard say? My billboard says, Anisha said, dot, dot, dot. What would Anisha do? (laughs) What would Anisha do? Okay. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been amazing. We're like, we're working out the kinks. We're getting it done. Episode two. We will figure out how we're going to close this up moving forward with spaces for you to go. If you're listening to in New York, we would like you to lot and you're thinking about therapy or we'd like to have an appointment with either Divya starting on in May, Divya starting in May or Anisha starting now, you can log on to uh, bewellpsychotherapy.com and look at their bios and off you go. And please click on our link, be real, and then look us up and we're going to be we're out there. We're, we're oh, making I it just- happen. I just want to thank you, ladies. So everyone listening, what you don't know is that I'm very, very sick today. (laughs) So um, maybe the billboard should say, don't go drinking the night before a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And all the links, all the social media links, all our uh, website links, everything will be in the show notes. So thank you guys. Thank so much. you. Thank you. Thank you too, ladies. And, you know, I'll see you in the halls. Oh, All that's right. our tagline. I'll see you in the halls. It's <laughs> not going to be our tagline, but that is what I say when I sign off on all of our newsletters. <laughs> I'll see you in the halls. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Be Real podcast. Stay connected to us and subscribe to Be Real wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you are feeling it, how about a five-star review? If our conversation sparked a question, join us in the Be Real Podcast Facebook group. We hope that you have walked away with some new insights, curiosities, and ideas to better help you on your journey to mental wellness and overall well-being. I encourage you to go to bewellpsychotherapy.com and check out our services and programs. Again, that's bewellpsychotherapy.com. Okay, we have to stop here, but I'll see you next week.